Welcome to the Working Hands Podcast. I'm Tony of Woodland Iron, joined by Keith of Blackthorn Concepts. And this week, it's back-to-school special from what he wrote for uh, <laughs> a header. After-school so. special. After-school oh, special. What the, what, yeah. <laughs> back-to-school, yeah. Well, I kind of went back-to-school, but <laughs> we'll get into it. Yeah. Can't wait to hear all about it. I've avoided talking to you much about it. Oh, that's what it is. You always avoid talking to me. Well, I mean, I got to have something to talk about when we get on here. Yeah, true. So what is going on? Oh, well, I'm very tired. <laughs> I've been away from home for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Monday of last week, um, I decided, well, I already decided you guys all knew about it. I was heading for uh, Auburn, Maine, uh, about four and a half, five hour trip from for me. Um, I went to the New England School of Metalwork. It, it took their tool making, uh, blacksmith tool making class. So yeah, it was a good learning experience. The teacher, the instructor there was very good. He was, uh, like he said, he'd been at it for 38 years. It's <laughs> like That's a he long didn't, time. He didn't look like he'd been at it for 38 years as far as like his, how old he looked. So I was like, but yeah, he was at it, at it for a while. He's been, uh, he was very, very good. Found he was very knowledgeable in a lot of different things. Seemed to have good answers for everybody. So it was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. I saw the reel you posted. Looked like you made quite a few tools, a hammer, right? Yeah. yeah so twisting uh, wrench. We made the hammer, and that was kind of a surprise to me. I didn't realize we were going to make a hammer, and that was day one. Was um trying to remember how it all played out. Oh, right. So we made we made a punch and a cutting and a, like a hot cut chisel on the first day, and that was kind of the first couple things we did in the morning. And then we started into the hammer kind of mid-morning through the afternoon, I believe. And that was a lot of heavy forging under a hand hammer. That was all done with a hand hammer. Oh, man. Really? Um, yeah. Other than a couple strikes on a with a treadle hammer, it was all done with a hand hammer. But you I did was, get to use a treadle hammer. Yes, I did. An inline treadle hammer. Like I, I think I am now going to build one, but we'll see. Um, yeah, so that one was, that project was interesting. It was a lot of work. It showed kind of, for me, it showed accuracy over power was the, the name of the game. I found when I was trying to swing too hard, it would throw things off and it would just made it, made life a lot more difficult. But when I was trying to be more accurate with my strikes, it, uh, it made life that much better <laughs> really? so that's it that's interesting yeah well i mean there's still force that has to be put into it but if you're you just have to be more accurate very cool so did yeah, you get uh, i mean i got a lot of questions for you but well, i saw that here. you made some tongs did you get the instruction on the tongs that you wanted so that you can yes screw around making your own Whenever. So the biggest thing for me on the tongs was the fact that he, he kind of ironed things out for me on how to make the boss section 
the boss is the where the hole is that's where the right. the tongs come together that that section is crucial and he kind of just he, he didn't dumb it down he just got it he just got it into my head on how that needs to be made and kind of like the dimension slash kind of rule of thumb of what size it should be with with the stock and stuff like that so it it made it so i think tong make like the mystery for me of tong making and and how to finish a tong and make it work is less of a it's less of a mystery for me so um it's made it like things like so at one point in time i was like ah if i'm gonna do rivets i need a rivet setter and he set everything without a rivet setter had us set everything without a rivet setter just kind of gave us the the parameters of what your how long you should cut your piece for a rivet so it was his rule of thumb for the rivets were so say it was quarter inch stock mm -hmm. it had to be the minimum the thickness of the boss which was the two bosses together Naturally. which is a, which is a given but then it should be proud of the boss the same as the diameter of the stock hmm. so that makes sense yeah and it was simple it was pretty simple and i've heard some other people say different things that i can't remember but i just remember them being a little bit more confusing and this makes more sense so it was quarter inch round stock you're using it's a quarter inch passed on the outside and a quarter inch well it's a quarter inch passed on each each side plus the distance the thickness of the boss so right. it made and then he just showed us how he starts setting the rivet he does it cold and just goes around the rivet gets a little bit of a, a a mushroom to it and then puts it to the heat and does everything like nothing's ripping hot when you start that process it's all like reds and oranges like nothing really super hot like you're not going into yellow with this you're trying to do it at a heat that you can move steel but if you miss you're not totally mangling the the jaws of the tongs or the reins of the tongs so that you're so you can move things around and not have to put a little effort into it but not have it be so soft and flimsy that you can't like you don't want to ruin the tong yeah when you're so, doing it. yeah that's pretty wild yeah so it was it was fun it was it was interesting being in a dorm room for for essentially five days I started on, like, came, came down on Monday. That's so weird. And I left on, well, I left on Friday night, like Friday evening when we were done the course. So, so it's a, it, it's a dorm room. Is this like a college, like the one that Chris goes to? Um, kind of like there's a, I think they said there's a 13 week, uh, welding course. And there was guys from the welding course in the dorms as well. The dorms only four rooms. They have, but they have capacity to, to have. Uh, there's bunk beds in each room, so so you could right. have eight people in the, in the dorm. Plus, there's a room for uh, like a guest instructor. Like if they have someone from out of town coming in, like they generally they have quite a few guys come in or instructors come in from um, from out of town for like the bladesmithing. And then there are blacks. There are guest blacksmiths that come in as well for courses so hmm. yeah now i gotta figure out what the next course is going to be <laughs> yeah right did everyone kind of make the same tool setup that you made 
like a hammer, twisting wrenches, tongs. Yeah, so basically everybody made the same. Like everybody made the hammer. Everybody made um, the uh, pliers that we made. We did. Um, why can't I think of the word? But we did a, a wolf jaw tong, um, a V bit um, like bolt tong. Um, like I'm I'm whiffing on the pliers that we made. Uh, scrolling pliers. Yeah, so it's a scrolling plier that we made, and everybody basically made those those three setups for tongs. So what is scrolling pliers? So <laughs> it was something that would have come in handy when I was at the, the group forge, because that would have been how you tweak a scroll, like any kind of twist any, or any kind of curves or bends that you're trying to put in something. You, you can grab it with that and do small tweaks with it. Yeah, that's the one. He's pointing so, to he's pointing to the picture from my Instagram. Yeah, sorry. So. I'm just trying to follow. So in the last photo of your reel, the pliers are there. So they're basically just like needle nose pliers for blacksmith. Yeah, they're just heavier heavier duty. Yeah. Like like they're they're a pretty hefty set of pliers. Like be like the same weight as like a linesman plier. Okay. Like they're pretty pretty chunky. Like it's like an eight or ten inch plier, so it's it's a good size. Yeah. What is that horseshoe looking thing? Just the U <laughs> that you made. Um, it's just a U it's just a a U bend. Like it's just made the setup to go with the there's a bending fork that's there too. Yeah. So that U and that bending fork are meant to be used together to bend. Oh. Yeah. It's cool. It's yeah. a lot of stuff. I thought you'd come home with like three things. No. You came home with a lot of pieces. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen different items. One being a hammer made by hand. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it was it was a busy it was a busy week busy week. And so um the wolf jaw that's what he kept calling them. Like it, they're just kind of a V bit with a little bit of an opening at the back. Mm-hmm. Um those are forge welded reins. And the first, oh, and then I have another set of pliers that aren't, or another set of tongs that aren't, uh, they don't have the rivet in them, but they're laying there together in the picture. Yeah. So those are also, one rein is forge welded and the other is drawn out on the power hammer. So we had mm. that option. Um, that was one of the options too. So I did all the forging in coal. Um they did ask on the first day if we wanted to use propane because of like our home setups or whatever. He could set up and supply us with a propane forge and, and propane to use for the week. But, um, and, and I don't think there was any change in cost to the course if I did. But I chose to stick with coal for the week. And I don't like, I think it was a good choice. I think, I think I, I learned a lot from it. It was uh, just added another technical skill to it. Like, I, I think it'll be good for if I ever do use coal that I had this time running it. Right. And uh, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. It was, it was, uh, it was nice that like they have a really quality, really good quality setup there. Like you've got an, with the forges they have there, it's, like your standard fire pot and it's got the blower that blows from the bottom up 
but then the there's a side hood that sits off to the to one side of it and that's got vacuum on it too so all your dust and smoke and and all that kind of stuff is uh is pulled up up and away and into the into the hood so it it was a really easy fire to control um i still still was a challenge to get it right but i think it was it was a good good exercise in the end for me that's good kind of took the mystery out of out of running a coal fire so that was nice does it make you want to get a coal forge going at home or um it doesn't <laughs> to be honest cuz the first day or two i was like oh this would be fun to have at home but they have a bunch of like scrubbers and stuff on the on their setup so like their their setup is fairly well to do, like it's it's well done and it's it's an expensive kind of setup so well, they're running a school too so yeah and that that's part of it and they're they're in a they're in a community so they're in a they're in the industrial part of the city but not like so industrial that like there's a restaurant that's like i don't know a thousand feet away like there's there's stuff there like there's i think i saw an insurance office like they're they're in the middle they're still in the middle of town so they can't be too crazy with what they're doing but i i remember walking i'd forgotten my my uh, earplugs in my in my room so i had to walk back to the my dorm room and was coming back and boys that were in the class with me had started their forges and i saw the smoke billowing out the back of the the building which you didn't see most of the day it was just when they first started up and you could see like that that right. brown kind of smoke rolling and made me realize that it wasn't obtainable for me to run coal in in a neighborhood if right. if i have if i end up in a in a more rural spot i will have coal because it's so easy like you always hear the guys that run coal all the time they're like oh well you just you can heat a small spot and it really it really is that way like you really can just put a small heat that's like three or four inches long into into a piece and really just narrow it down so that like it's almost like using a using an oxyacetylene torch like it's that it's it's that tight of a heat that you can get or you can go broad with it if you get that fire rolling. You can, yeah, and you can do, yeah, you have the option to do both. With propane, you have, like, if you, but with propane, you can heat a small portion, but it's only going to be that front piece because once you start pushing it through into the fire or into the into the propane forge, you're just heating everything that's inside the forge. Right. Where with coal, you can push something through the fire and then heat like the center of the piece if if that's what you're after. Got you. So, like when we were doing, if when we were doing the reins, like after you had the bit done on the tongs, and you wanted to do work on the reins, you could either flip the piece around or push the tong bit through, and then heat the reins, and then work the reins from there. Yeah, yeah. So that was it. Was a lot of fun. It was. Uh, I found, like I say, I found the instruction was very very good so he was he was a good, good fella that's really all you can ask for in the end you know yeah. that's what you want but that's why you go to a place like that you know yeah find the best teachers you can and go there yeah i definitely after this i i 
I told him I'd be back next year, and all he said was thanks for the warning. So <laughs> he throws the jokes around too. But um, yeah, no, I think for me, um, it it's definitely something that when the when the classes for twenty twenty four come out, I'm gonna be looking at one of them. I think because there's another one that's um, it's only tongs and it's three days. So it's a little shorter, but you'll end up with like eight or nine sets of tongs kind of thing, I would assume, because you can just, they'll go through a bunch of different patterns and then it's just, it's reps. Repetition. At, it's, yeah, it's reps at that point And you're just going to have, you're just going to keep making tongs, keep making tongs. The the thing I found, and I mentioned this to, so Derek is the, the instructor and I was doing pretty good with staying like on pace or maybe a little ahead of the class and i got at one point he's like he's like you know you can keep make keep ahead and you know just keep making more tongs and i was like i was like i don't do this for a living and i i know at the end of four days of this if i keep like every minute i'm swinging a hammer i am going to be dead yeah i will I will on the last day it I will be miserable and it will not be good. I didn't explain that all up to him, but I just no, no, I'm I'm good at the pace we're going. And uh yeah. <laughs> Even then Friday was was taxing. I was I was uh I was ready ready to, to go home. <laughs> I get taxed after uh like a hammering when I go there for just one day. Yeah, I was I was lucky I, I felt pretty good most of the week. Um, I brought, um, a massage gun with me and that was, a, that was good because that was, I could use that on the, on my forearm and that, that kind of helped, helped me not want to kill people after, after day one. So, yeah, but it was a good, it was a good week. I can't, I can't complain. Um, what, how many students were there? So there was myself and one, two, three, four. There was four other students, and then there was one other guy that was, he was a student, but he was a new hire for the school. So when they have an opportunity, they're putting him through the courses to, so he can help uh, Derek. And that guy was Ted, and Ted is uh, also their, I think he said he's also their uh, social media person now. Okay. So. So he's going to, he's doing that. And because the school is, the school is, um, part of Maine Oxy. So the welding supply company, that's, oh, okay. what, that's what they do. So you're, the buildings are kind of set up. You've got the dorm on one end and then the main Oxy like corporate office is like at the other end of the, of the, of the property, then the dorms, then the welding school. And then the uh, blacksmith uh, setup is on the further end. So, I gotcha. Yeah. So everything it's kind of nice. Everything's kind of separate from each other. You um, kind of have your own space. Um, it's it's really fun. The uh, I think I sent you through the week the uh, the kind of storyboards they have. Yeah. They have, like yeah, yeah. every wall that they can put something up for a storyboard. There's something there. Um, every kind of fixture that can be blacksmith 
is blacksmith like handles door handles all kinds of things like that that's cool in the dorm there's all kinds of stuff like that done um yeah it's it's just a cool it's kind of a cool place well it is a cool place not kind of um yeah so i'm i'm definitely going back it's i'm trying it's kind of helping me figure out where i want to go with smithing like if it's going to be tool making if it's going to be kind of into the artist side of things which i'm really not leaning towards um it'll probably for me it'll be a little bit more of like probably more the tool making was fun i enjoyed that um it's kind of fulfilling and they have um they have a woodworkers uh tool making for woodworkers oh really yeah so um draw knives and stuff like that yeah you can go in and you can make a draw knife they um like timber slicks that kind of stuff like some big some big stuff like if you go on their website they show um and click on the class they'll show you the year past what the the last year's class had made so and that's uh that that looks like a lot of fun the whole thing seems fun to me i mean i'm not <laughs> i'm not yeah. much of a, a a metal worker i guess yeah uh, the one I, I the one thing i found fun about it for me and it might be different depending on who's in the class but i, I really enjoyed being at an event or and it wasn't an event it was just being at this school and having it not be a huge social media thing like i enjoy the hammer like the the uh group forges and stuff like that but it was kind of fun to just have you know there was six of us there i guess six six including the instructor okay and yeah like i had my phone out maybe like an hour out of the entire time i was there like it was uh it was kind of fun that way seems fun i bet when you're in school i mean you're you're not going to do uh instagram stuff you're going there to learn right you're paying for the course yeah i mean that the week well the four day is four days i mean that was it's not cheap either but it's so it's kind of that's kind of part of it it's like adult any kind of adult learning like when you're actually paying for it versus you know when you're younger and you're not really aware of how much that stuff costs it mm. uh yeah i showed up to work and that's what that's what i did and that's what everybody did while we were there everybody worked so it was good yeah, it seems pretty well yeah so i think the woodworking one could be fun um there's a couple more that are more like um the woodworking uh, ones coming up yeah there's one coming up soon but i i would wait till next year till i yeah till i did it but i i I just went on the page now to look at uh the photo what they made last year it looks like draw knives timber slicks um axes actually like axe heads yeah i think dividers i think they did ads to like certain Sometimes what you get out of the course depends on your skill as well. Yeah. Like your skill sense. level. Like if you don't, if you can't get through the work, then like you might get a little bit less out of it. Like you won't get as much, as many tools in the end. Right. But it's still, you're still going to get the training out of it. Like if you're, if you're paying attention kind of thing. There's a hold down here. What's that called? The hold fast. Um, hold fast. Yeah. Couldn't think of it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was good. 
I like I say I'm gonna say that a hundred times here. But it was it was a good time. Seems like it. Kinda wanna go to the school now. <laughs> yeah, they have um I wasn't sure like when it when they first looked at the the, the write ups they talked about like having like for that course and they wanted it to be like a seasoned beginner or have taken certain courses from that school. Mm, and that I wasn't sense. And I wasn't sure um, where I fell in like that skill set. And that was kind of nice to then go to the school and realize that like maybe I'm a bit more than a seasoned beginner at this point. I'm not saying a lot, a lot past that, but it's, it was kind of nice to, to kind of see that I'm not like going down the wrong path. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think you underestimate yourself a lot. Uh, yeah well that's me <laughs> well it happens i mean we all do we all should anyway yeah but you know there's a lot of people that think too highly of themselves <laughs> yeah that was that was good the guys we were with that i was with were really good there was no egos um it was actually like i said about the whole social media thing like i think there's one guy that has social media other than the teacher, the instructor. And, uh, of course I, I don't, the social media guy from the school, I don't know that he has his own social media. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I haven't found it yet, but, um, I'm trying to find, think about that though. That's crazy to me. Uh, I'm sure he has, I'm sure he has it, but maybe it's private to him and he, he just doesn't. But think about that. So you would think, the amount of people we know who do all this stuff like blacksmithing or woodworking and stuff. And we know a lot of people and a lot of them are on social media, right? Yeah. Most of the people we know, I mean, I do know woodworkers that aren't, you know, mm -hmm. but then there's people like Chris Powell who have like a hundred and something thousand followers or, or whoever that these Instagram or YouTube pages that are huge, but like a million followers and they're a maker, right? Yep. And then you were at an event where you were the only one with social media. You know what I mean? It's just weird that there's other people out there that haven't found. Yeah, it was kind. Of, it was media. kind of. It was kind of funny for me because I went there, and like even like there were storyboards there that had some like people I consider very high, like highly skilled smiths in in the blacksmithing world and the bladesmithing world. Okay, I saw one sticker the whole weekend or the whole week on all those storyboards well no nothing on a storyboard one sticker and i will post this picture at some point i sent it to the to the guy because i know because we know him <laughs> think i know and, who it is uh i don't know okay but go ahead um anyways it was kind of like that's what was interesting to me because we had like there was, there was a watercolors that Jeff Fader does. There was two of those up there. Nothing more than his signature on it. Like you could tell, you, like I knew I could pick it out because of the color scheme that he uses. Right. Um, there's a knife up there from Jason Knight. If you okay. know who that, like it, it used to be a judge or at one point in time was, was a judge for Forge and Fire. Um, there's all kinds of names I can't think of, but those are the ones I can think of right now. And it was just simply, it was the name, where they're from, 
and the year the board was done. That was it. That's what I, you I want, like. Though. I like that. I, I I don't know. I just enjoyed that. I found that, and then like when I talked with Derek, who's in, the instructor, and um, there was a couple in the main, like the in the dorm, like there was a downstairs, like the dorm room, the dorm uh, building was, like it was the main office for the school. There was like a lunch room, and then the, the upstairs was the do- the dorm. Mm-hmm. So the the lunch room had all the walls were covered. And I think that was a video I sent you of like the walls just covered in storyboards. Right. That's funny. and there was um, one Smith uh, I can think of right now was Mark Asbury. I think that's how you say it. Anyways, another well known Smith is all it was, was his name, where he's from. The year he did it that was it like this is someone that like if if you're a smith and you've done any like it's one of those guys you've seen on youtube he's not really a youtuber but he's one of those guys that's been out he travels around he teaches he's been involved with abana for years i believe he's been involved in like a lot of organizations and and like he's a, a big t- a teacher and like has some clout in the to me has some clout in the in the smithing world and it was just that that was all it was was just name location date and it was it was interesting it was it was uh i don't know i enjoyed i enjoyed that part of it that it wasn't like all flashy like when and when i say simply it was like in the most basic font on a little white card and that's all it was that's good keeps everything uniform yeah it was it was kind of I don't you know. want logos all over everything. Uh, I I still enjoy that part of it. Like when I come, when I go to camp, I I want to see, you know, I like seeing the 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 coal iron press that they have there with, you know, all the logos. All I still I love that. I still love that. But it was yeah, kind of it was kind of neat to see it in like a teaching atmosphere to see it just kind of be this even playing field. I kind of I kind of like that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like in a school setting. You don't need all that flesh and pizzazz, logos and stickers, who's who. Yeah. You're just there to learn the skill and get out. Yeah. No, it was it was a lot of fun. You know me, I'm a big fan of in person instruction, so Yeah. No, they were definitely uh definitely got some skill. <laughs> now, do you think being in a class is better than learning, say, if you watched a video on YouTube? Oh, in class is better. There's no, no ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, I could, I I could sit and spend the 32 hours watching video and not do half of what I did and not retain half of what I've done. Cause it was, you watch. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Cause no, no, I understand that. I, I, I always hear these people when I'm like, oh, you should, you should go take a class. They're like, no, I went to YouTube university. I'm good. And I'm not saying, you can't learn off YouTube because you can, but your basic skills should be learned in person. Yeah. So for me, like it just, it hammered at home. You had someone do the work right in front of you, explaining it out to like a very high detail and then watching your technique and correcting. Yeah. And then when, like, because it wasn't like a beginner, beginner class, like we didn't spend there was no time spent on striking on, on anything like that, on like holding a hammer. It was like none of that, like 
very, very basic stuff. Um, it was more, we more or less walked in and he said, this is how, this is how I want you to, to run the fire, like to, to run the coal forges. They kind of had a way that they, because of the coal they were using, he kind of fed it in, in a, in certain stages. He said, this is how he wanted us to kind of a guideline on how he wanted us to, to work it. And then we started into project one. Like that was kind of, you know, it was pretty quick and we had fires going with, with steel in them. So it was, it was a lot of fun. It's good. And I, I got to get the punch and drift holes. That was kind of fun. I'd never done that before. On that hammer. Yes. Did you do that by hand too? You, You drifted the hole? Yeah. So we, what we did was we did, we slit, we slitted the drift, I guess the term they use. So we had a punch or a slitting tool that was a very like chisel shaped. Mm-hmm. And then we used that from both sides to cut down into the, like cut into the piece to make the eye. And then once we got that tool down deep enough that we could put the drift, put the drifts in, we then started, we had, <clears throat> we used drifts or a drift to, uh, to, to drift the hole to the proper size. By hand. And we, that was all by hand. Wow. That, to me, that was probably one of the easier parts. The drifting, the slitting and drifting was easier than the shaping of the hammer. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I mean. Shaping. Eh. So if it was, if you were doing the hammer and you were just doing a flat face and a rounding face, it would have been way easier. Um, but because they kind of wanted us to do a peened end and a and a flat end, so I did mine as a as a uh, a straight peen. So the peen is vertical in the same orientation as the handle. Right. And man, that was like that was a lot of work. You're trying. You're doing. You're making the peen over the horn. Mm-hmm. that was just a ton of work i was and then you're trying to do it and not wreck the eye because we had the eye made uh, yeah we had the eye shape at that point and you're trying oh, not wow. to, yeah you're not well i believe that i would have thought the eye would have been drifted last no the eye or was supposed the, to last like the last so the eye was the very first thing that was what we was what you start with and then you can work work your dimensions from there so we made uh yeah we did the eye you drift it to a certain point and then you leave it and wait for a final like once you're done shaping then you do a final drift on both sides so that was that was a that was a challenge like getting like it took a lot of heats to get to get to where i needed to be on that piece because that was that was rough because you're trying to get it's one of those operations that in propane like with my skill set and my with coal, propane mm-hmm. would have been a lot easier. You just would have got it ripping hot every time and just waited and wouldn't have to worry about it burning or, or anything like that. Mm. Yeah. And that's the problem with, with any kind of tool steel because we did this with 1045. The hammers are 1045. And anything with a higher carbon content, which 1045 is not that high from what he's telling us, I really don't understand the metallurgy stuff yet. And that's something that I learned I need to improve. 
Um, but he said with that increased carbon, you increase the probability of burning the steel because you can burn it at a lower temperature than you can burn mild steel at. I don't know that oh, there's okay. a big range between the two, but it's he said that you will burn high carbon steels quicker than low carbons. Hmm. So I don't know much about the metallurgy. Metallurgy. Metal. Yeah. That word. That word. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, so, cause, well, that was part of it too, is we went through like the heat treatment, like we heat treat, those hammers are complete. Like they're done. They're heat treated, tempered, they're handled, they're done, done. Like on the last, so we had them done on the third day. That was all, uh, ground to shape, any shaping we had to do, the heat treatment, the temper and handled. So a lot of the guys were using their hammers on the fourth day. I didn't use mine on the fourth day. I'm kind of set with the hammer I have. And this was because I made it a, a straight peen that was just adding to the the group of hammers that I have. So now I have a, a larger hammer for when I need to get stuff moved. I have the one I call the wife because that's the one I use every day. Um, I have a two pound smaller hammer that I use quite a bit. I have a cross peen that's uh, two and a half pounds. Actually, I got a story about the weights on the hammers too. And then I have this new one that's a straight peen that's a little lighter. It's about two pounds. What is a cross peen or a straight peen? So cross peen is um, the peen goes uh, vertically across or horizontally across the, the hammer. So opposed to the handle. It's right? opposed to the handle. So it's perpendicular yeah. to the handle. And the straight peen is vertical or in line with the handle. Okay. So. And there's one that's diagonal, right? Yeah, that's, we don't talk about that one. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. That's why I don't. Uh, it, it, it can work for certain people depending on how they're comfortable, like turning and striking. Like, I think that's what it, how it works for people. All right, let's move on. It's, but it's useless yeah. to both of us. Yes. I was just wondering. So, uh, this, yeah, uh, I can't speak today. The story about the weights of the hammers. Yes. <laughs> so Derek brought in, uh, a scale cause the, the, uh, the hammers that the hammerheads that we started with were like two pounds eight or two pounds six ounces something like that that's what they were before we got a hold of them right so then he wanted to he brought the scale in to kind of show us how much we lost on decarb and the Mill what scale. grinding we did and that kind of stuff all like the scale that we you'd lose through forging and i think my hammer came out one of the lighter ones from what i remember because i came out at two pounds one ounce and it couple of the guys were like two 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 three so they'd done a little bit better with that part of it but then the the story is i decided i've never had a scale near my hammers so maybe i should weigh them to see what they weigh because i don't know the the shape of the ham hammers kind of throws throws some people off because what got me on it was i showed derek the smaller two pound that i have and this is something there's a hammer that i like and and he's like 
it's like that because it's marked two pound on the on the on the cheeks and he grabs a hold of it and he's like man that doesn't feel like two pound and because i would you know the guy swung a hammer for a long time and he you think he would know what it weighs or have a feel for what a hammer weighs so i was like like well i'm gonna go weigh it and then he had it like they have uh we have a forging room and then there was a bladesmithing like grinding room okay so like a finishing room so in the finishing room was where we were grinding our handles and the hammerheads and and he had the scale in there so i put my the two pound on the scale and i think it weighed out i think it was two pounds seven now that's with the handle in it so then i was like i wonder what the rest of my hammers weigh so i brought out the big girl that's supposed to be three and a half it ended up weighing 4.1 with the handle mm. so i thought <laughs> i was swinging a three and a half i'm swinging a four so i kind of la- i had a good laugh over that one and then the two and a half rounding hammer that i that's like my daily driver it weighed two pounds 14 with the handle which surprised me it's supposed to be two and a half so it's a little over probably pretty close and then the cross peen that i have and these are all made by the same guy um and so i'm getting what i'm getting at is i kind of got a baker's dozen i got the a little bit extra on each one (laughs) and then the cross peen was actually it's supposed to be two and a half and it came in at two pounds 15. So almost three pounds. wonder how much the I don't handle. Of yeah. Things. So I didn't weigh, I didn't weigh the, uh, the straight peen that I made. I weighed it pre handle. I didn't weigh it after I put a handle in it, which I should have done, but we had so much other stuff on the go. It, was, it wasn't a priority, hmm. but yeah, like that was, that was one thing the last day we had what do we have we had about two hours left he's like i'm gonna do a demo and there's three projects and you can oh boy yeah it was like okay here we go so the three projects were so there's a scribe a chisel and a center punch that are in that that picture that hopefully everybody goes to see um it so we went through the heat treat of those three items that was one project. The other project was the the U fork, the U, the bending, the bending fork. Yeah. Um, and then the third project, which was the biggest project, was the the actual bending fork. So the long, fo- the long fork that's there, right beside the hammer in the picture. That was interesting because <laughs> you have to the way you have to forge it out. It's it, is it a forge weld to get the U on there? No, it is not at all. So you have to set a shoulder. So what what he explained out was so the stock is inch well, actually it was an inch and a quarter. But he said whatever the height of the stock is, the thickness of the stock should be your first set, your first shoulder. So you you make a mark at that distance. So we had everything marked at inch and a half. And then that's your first shoulder and then you mark, mark back an inch and a half from that first one and that's your second shoulder and your first shoulder you set over the near edge of the anvil and your second shoulder you set over the far edge of the anvil so then with that that sets um sets a shoulder on either side and that gives you your nub your piece that you need for the back 
uh, tine of the the twisting wrench or okay, uh, twisting fork or bending fork. There's the word. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> um, so that sets the back tine, and then you forge out the front tine. The front tine gets forged out uh, lengthwise, and then to forge the back tine, you work that that shoulder up <clears throat> so the piece has a bit of a kick to it and it opens up with the back edge of that that uh, piece you've left so that you can then drive that down with a cross peen and or a we had uh swages that we could use where you'd hammer it down in the vise and push it down over top of the vise that would that would shape and form your uh the back time and then you had to once that back time was done, you then bent the front one over the anvil and then cooled the top or cooled the end that you bent down and then uh, forged that down and try and get as best of like a, a tight right angle as you can. So once you cool that, that allows that to not mushroom down as you're, you're forging it and it allows the back like come into shape so that you have a nice square corner instead of having a like instead of having kind of a soft corner where you would because you'd bent it over the anvil yeah right so i don't think i could do it it's it's uh oh you could do it we could show you are you coming down in may for the hammering Uh, no my my schedule is busy come on no i am uh we're going on a little family trip in the end of may we're heading for uh heading for dc actually oh yeah yeah driving down or taking a plane drive nice yeah so we want to hit uh six flags and a few things while we're going through does that mean we're taking a week off (laughs) uh i don't think so (laughs) we'll see i think keith wants to take a week off (laughs) no no i'll talk to you about it later yeah. But uh, this is a good stabbing point. So I want to thank our friends over at Sabretooth. If you go check them out, you can get your power carving stuff there. If you use code WH, you can save 10%. I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. I think this may be the last week you can do it up until May 15th. There is the competition, What Grows in the Garden? Or if you carve something uh, and you use that hashtag and I think maybe a couple others, check out the Sabretooth rules on the Sabretooth Instagram. But uh, check them out. Use code WH to get your burrs and uh, give it a go. Yeah, and I'll take a moment to thank our other sponsor, uh, Maritime Knife Supply, one-stop shop for makers, and now um, distributor for Damasteel. Damasteel. Yeah, so they're a maker of um, some high-quality uh, Damascus. I believe some stainless Damascus, but I'm not 100% on that. Um not really up on the knife making steels, but that is definitely something uh, uh, to check out. So it is cool stuff. I saw uh, Uncle Sam picked up a few uh, pieces. I can't wait to see what he yeah he makes out of that. He makes his own Damascus, but uh, probably easier just to buy it too. You know? I got some pretty wild patterns. Yeah, I think there's a lot of time savings in in purchasing it. Yeah. Anyway, check them out. Maritime Knife Supply. Get yep. your stuff there. You can get your Damascus, everything you need to grind it, from Broadbecks to belts to Scotch Brights to whatever. <laughs> so, 
how'd you do in your competition? Oh, terrible. <laughs> All right. You don't have to talk about it. It's fine. No, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, um, uh... how mad were you when I, I put that post out? Tell, tell Tony good luck today. Oh, I, I was already mid competition by the time I seen it. I didn't see it right away. Yeah. Phone... I thought for sure. I did it from the joint account because I thought for sure you were going to want to pull it down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I was, I think, the, I think the first I saw it was after the yoke walk and farmer's carry. Cause I, I, I got, I got there at seven 30 and got ready. Phone went in my gym bag and I didn't, I mean, I took a couple pictures and posted one or two things, but I, wasn't on my phone very much that day at all um and yeah i was a bit nervous about a few things so i i didn't really um yeah i i was not worried about the post about wishing me luck so i do appreciate everybody that did though um yeah so the first event was a 700 pound yoke carry for 40 feet followed by uh 250 pounds per hand uh farmer's walk back the 40 feet i just came with the 700 so um that went okay um that should go okay that's 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 like a (laughs) warm-up yeah well i wish it was i could do that no problem it was um i ended up placing fourth i think in that event i had a really slow my yoke walk was quite slow um i just oh it's timed it's not just complete it uh it was kind of both um with the yoke walk if you drop the weight if you drop the yoke more than once you were done so you could have one drop and then keep going which Mm -hmm. we had a few people do that as kind of a strategy that you know they carried it for so far put it down regathered themselves picked it back up and and went with it um i did not use that strategy (laughs) I don't think it would have worked for me because I think once I dropped it, I was probably done. <laughs> um, but, um, so yeah, I, I managed the full distance with the yoke and the full distance with the, uh, farmers as well. It was, uh, the farmers went way easier than I expected. I was kind of concerned. I, I tried, uh, in the warmups, I got to about 185 pounds per hand and was like, Oof, this is spicy, but <laughs> adrenaline carried the day on that event anyways. And then, um, the next event was, was an axle bar. So clean and press. So you take the bar from the ground to your shoulders and then press it to overhead. Mm-hmm. I got a big fat goose egg on that one. Um, <laughs> it was, it was a weight I should have been able to do. Um, it shouldn't be shouldn't have been an issue it was just one of those things where i gave myself three weeks to train for this so that's that's what i'm going to blame everything on and you were away the week leading up to it yeah i was away the week swinging a hammer i'm not i'm not making excuses for you (laughs) but that doesn't make it easy for yourself no um but i felt pretty good um so yeah that one but actually that one i ended up placing second in because only one guy lifted the weight so that was kind of interesting so we all like it was like one guy won and then two then the the rest of us were second because we all 
finished with the same amount of reps. <laughs> um, then there was a bag toss, which was kind of a weird one. Um, yeah, I logged into the live right around then. Yeah, that was a that I was think. just so. I'm I'm told now. I I don't really pay that much attention to strongman at times, but these kind of events, like local events like this, there's always kind of like a like a rest event. Is kind of the way they word it. It's 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 a challenge, but it's not too taxing. It kind of gives people some time. It's like when meant to be around lunchtime, you can get something to eat. You don't feel, you know, people just have you, you have some time. And it was a bag. It was a sandbag toss for distance, and I came last in that as well. <laughs> it was something I never tra- never actually even had tried this this sandbag. So. But it was uh, kind of fun to watch, to see the different techniques and stuff with it. So, and then after that, we had um, the trap bar deadlift. So trap bar is a—it's called a trap bar because it's like a trapezoid, I believe. No, no, that's not it. It's not because you pick it up with your traps. No, it's so instead of instead of being a straight bar that stand that sits in front of you, you stand in. Yeah, it's like a square around you, right? Yeah, so it's not a trapezoid. It's um, but it's some of them are kind of built almost like a hexagon. You'll have two flat side, flat side on front and back, and then they everything angles into the center, and then you'll have handles that come up that bump up sometimes, and some have handles that are even with the weight. They're all a little bit different. So, anyways, that was a. 585 pound uh deadlift and i did not move it off the ground so the trap bar was invented patented and trademarked by al gerard a competitive power lifter it is often thought that the name that it has been named after the upper fibers of the trapezius muscles the muscle it was designed to train with the shoulder shrugs oh i was right Broken clocks right twice a day. Twice a day. <laughs> Even a blind squirrel can find a nut every now and then, Tony. Yeah. So, yeah. So that one was not, it was, I've never pulled that much weight off the ground. So I was. Uh, I am, I missed it looking it up. How much weight was it? It was a 585. Ooh. So it's something I think I could do at some point, but. Next year. I just, I just need to train more for it. Uh, and then the last event, I'm trying to think, oh, sandbags. So it was a sandbag medley. So it was a 200 pound sandbag to shoulder. You picked it up off the ground, put it to your shoulder, had to show your judge that you were stable. Like it's one of those ones you put it to your shoulder, you put one hand out and you just make sure you're square and your feet are like, you're not shifting around. The bag's not moving on your shoulder. You got to show them that you have control. And then it was a 250 pound bag that we carried 40 feet. Um, and then it was a 300 pound bag <clears throat> meant to go over the bar. And I fought with that thing for the full 75 seconds. <laughs> so we had 75 <laughs> seconds to complete it. It took me 20 seconds ish to do the shoulder and the, and the 40 feet. Mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing on the numbers. I never got the actual timing on it, but it it didn't take long to get to the to the bar. And for the life of me, I could not 
I first tried to so the the sandbags kind of narrow and tall right so right. i stood it on its end and then when it's standing on its end it's like at my hip like it's quite tall and um so i tried to then kind of um bring it up onto my chest like bear hug it and then try and bring it up and over the the bar so when i did that i got it pretty close but then i couldn't get it to like tip over the bar and I fought and I fought and I fought with it for probably probably good 30 seconds of that attempt and basically burned myself out. And then I put it back down and then tried to bring it up onto my lap and then put it over the bar that way. I got you. And that didn't work at all because I was just gassed. I had nothing left at that point. So That sucks. But Was it fun? Did you have a good time? Oh yeah. No, no. I had a great time. Would you time. do it again? hundred percent. There you go. That's all that matters. So, um, you did more exercise in that day than I did all week. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was talking with my coach who won the masters under 100 kilo category. And he very plainly told me that the guy who ran the, the event said, if he gets down a weight class, he's going to be some, somebody to reckon with. So I'm like, all right, I guess it's time to get down a weight class. Yeah, man. So when's the next competition? Um, there is Atlantics, um, I think in August, but August is when, uh, we've got another trip planned. <laughs> Doing a lot of traveling this year, making up for 2020, not going anywhere. Um, yeah, that's our cruise to Norway. In, nice. Uh, so that's what that's what we'll be doing then. So there won't won't be any strongman stuff for me. Well, there you go. So, but well, yeah, let's. It, it'll be something I'll try and do. I'll try and do it like once or twice a year if the uh, the timing works out. Yeah. Cool. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. But let's head on over to the after show. Let's thank our patrons. Yes. Well, while you're looking that up, I, I just want to say I think this is the last week you can enter for the Gnome Hammer Excitement Waffle, if you will. Yes, you can go over to Gnome. Yeah, you can go over to Gnome Hammer and check out the details on his page. Uh, you can become a patron of his. You can become a patron of ours. And uh, we find out next week. We find out next week who the winner is. Yes, sir. So... Start here with uh, Corey of Odyssey CNC, the Etsy Boys, Christy of Twisted Twine, Annette of 513 Woodworks, Full Steam Designs by Chris Powell, Lillian Archer Photography, David Beckwith Makes, NB Woodfinery. Then our top tier, we have Eastpoke Studios, Danelle Smith Christian, Brian Drennan, Lawrence of MaritimeNiceSupply.com, Ed Johns of ButtJoints.com, Uncle Sam Metalworks, or Adam of Uncle Sam Metalworks, whose shirt I was repping the entire competition on Saturday. <laughs> um, I sent him a, I sent him a uh, picture of it. He was, he was happy with that. <laughs> That's good. Uh, then we have uh, Green Street Joinery, Vincent Ferrari, Digitally Creative, Brian Housewart of Workfort Podcast, Artigino Sorio, Matt of Wooden Mustache, Brad of Brad's Customs, David and Joanna of Wido Works. Chad of Chad's Custom Creations, Ryan of Gnome Hammer Forge, David of DW Wood Builds, 
Matt of First Duke Construction, and Tony of Kodamo Design. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all. Fantastic bunch of people. Yes, definitely. All of you. You want to... If you want to hear what's going on or get in on that waffle, you can hear the uh, after show from us, which is always good. But sure. you did a lot of talking on this one, like a lot, right? But now <laughs> what you don't know is we have the greatest review ever. Uh-oh. I'm going to have to put this up with um, whoever had the last title person who had that one. I don't know if it was Matt or Hatch, but that they're in the running for it. Yeah. One of those. They two. come they come up second to this one. Um I haven't read the whole thing yet because of a lot of reasons, but it starts off with a lot of S's. So I assume it's one of those stuttering reviews. So I'm gonna try my best to get through this one. And it's by the name on the thing here says nobody important. That's who it's by. It was a five star review. So it gets read. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Settle in boys. It's called, the title of the review is Superb Shop Talk. Smith seeking solidarity or simply as a silly spectator of the sensationally scintillating, prepare to be swept off your feet by the seductive serenade of the Working Hands podcast. As we saunter further into the spectacular saga, we stumble upon a salacious, scandalous secret that will surely send shivers down your spine keith and tony share an unsettling unyielding and unequivocally unhealthy obsession with the annual assembly of artisans known as the maker camp this captivating congregation of craftsmen creators and connoisseurs converges at the clandestine campground called blackthorn resort nestled in the secluded sylvan surroundings of upstate new york these sultans of steel and sawdust find themselves spellbound by the seductive siren song of Maker Camp, eagerly ant anticipating the event with a fever that purges from the fanatical, on the fanatical, from the scorching summer sun to the shivering snow-swept stillness of winter. Our heroes <laughs> harbor a haunting hunger for this haven of handiwork and camaraderie. Perhaps it. It's the scintillating scent of sawdust and, and solder that sends them into a stupor, or the sizzling, <laughs> searing spectacle of sparks cascading from the anvils and embers of a thousand fires. Or maybe it's the sublime secret of sorcery of this strange secluded sanctuary that stirs their souls to a fever pitch. Whatever the cause, Keith and Tony find themselves ensnared in a ceaseless cycle of anticipation exhilaration and limitation as they yeah as they long for the next gathering of their kith and kin in the surround sylvan retreat to the to the unsuspecting outsider their fix yeah to the unsuspecting outsider their fixation may seem slightly strange and sinister but fear not for beneath the veil of vexation lies the tale of unity and understanding a testament to the transcendent transformation power of craftsmanship and collaboration for, for within the hallowed halls of the Blackthorn resort, Keith and Tony finds solace and solidarity, solace and solidarity, forging friendships that will withstand the searing heat of a thousand fires and the crushing weight of a million mallets. 
So gather around my fellow fanatics of fabrication and prepare to be spellbound by the spellbounding saga, the Working Hands podcast, from the sizzling soliloquies on Sauls and Sanders to the scandalous secrets of the sacred maker camp, this sumptuous symphony of sounds so shall seize your senses and send your spirit soaring into the stratosphere with a scintillating smorgasbord of stupendous shop shenanigans, scandalous secrets, and spectacular stories. <laughs> the, the Working Hands podcast stands as, as a testament to the timeless, transcendent allure of creation, camaraderie, and ceaseless curiosity. Bravo, Keith and Tony, for bestowing upon us the bodacious bounty of Bander and Bedlam. What wonder... What wondrous workmanship awaits within the whimsical world of workshops and woodworking. The Working Hands podcast is a sumptuous symposium of Sicilianist skill and scintillizing secrets splayed out in a series of scintillating sessions. Scouring the spectrum of amateur makers and merry maddening mishaps, our hosts have sown a stupendous smorgasbord of stories and scenarios that satisfy even the most serious of shopsmiths. Our first sizzling star, Keith, is a slightly, surely yet superbly skilled sawdust-slinging savant who sometimes sports a, a, a sensational spiky beard and a serious sour demeanor that despite his slightly standoffish stance towards new friends, his soft spot for steadfast sidekick Dr. Watson shines through. The seriously sassy canine commands the, the workmanship of his suave, silky smooth style and shy, stealthy swagger, surrounded by sensational sawhorses, scintillating sanders, and superb saws. Keith and his stalwart sidekick, Dr. Watson, embark on a series of spectacular shop based shenanigans. Meanwhile, the second Sultan of Steel, Tony, stands as a strong as a super strong swiney stalwart spitting his splitting his time between smashing smithing and stupendous strength sports the sensational canadian craftsman crushes colossal iron creations with his crushing callous clasp while simultaneously sculpting his sizable strapping self for the savage struggle of competitive powerlifting his workmanship, a sanctum of sizzling sparks and smoldering steel, is a shine to the scintillating synergy of sweat, skill, and sheer stubbornness. Now let's not sidestep the salient and slightly scandalous fact that these two sensational souls spend sig significantly more time savoring their superbly stocked sanctuaries than showcasing their semi-pro skills. But worry not, for the scintillating soliloquies on shop setups and storage solutions shall satiate even the staunchest of skeptics. So stand back and steal yourself for this side-splitting and slightly scandalous saga of Saul Sanders and Sparks is sure to leave you stupefied and smitten. The Working Hand podcast sports an irresistible, idiosyncratic, and infectious charm, a, a scrumptious stew of superlatives and subtle satire shimmering in a sizzling sauce of sardonic sass 
The show sensationally serpentine structure makes through scintillating stories of screw up success and stupendous shop shenanigans while also spewing sparks of semi-serious shopkeeping advice. And what would a spectacular symphony be without a sprinkling of self-deprecating sass? Keith and Tony's sarcastic, sardonic tones shall serve as the savory evenings to the sumptuous feast that is their show. In conclusion, I must salute the sensational array of sound that the Working Hands podcast five stars are simply insufficient to encapsulate the scintillating spellbinding splendor of this superb symphony. Keith and Tony continue to serenade us with their sizzling soliloquies, scintillating secrets, and sensational stories. We shall stand steadfast in our support, eagerly anticipating the next spectacular installment of the saga of saws, steals, and stupendous shenanigans. Woo! Holy <laughs> <laughs> crap! So, I was, when you got into that, I took note of the time after it was like, seemed like an exorbitant amount of time. And that was over six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know who did that, but man, whoo, that had to take a long time to write. So you could play a drinking game with that one. <laughs> how many times does he say, <laughs> how many times is the word stupendous or shenanigans used? <laughs> I mean, is there are there two better words to describe I, this podcast? Uh, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm just saying that you could get really drunk. Just, just was it just really from... longer than six minutes? Because as I was reading, I was like, man, I should make this the sound for this week's reel. But I don't uh, know if I could do a six minute reel. No. So even at, even if what, I run it at two times speed, that's going to be three minutes. So when I was watching, I was like, man, hold on, let me a... read it again. I'll try and go faster this time. No. Superb no, shop no, talk. No, Smooth no, seeking. What? <laughs> so when you started, when I took notice of of the the time it was taking, it was at one hour and eighteen minutes. And when you stopped, it was one hour and twenty four minutes. Right. Those times will be off if you're listening to this because yes. we had some things at the beginning we got to get rid of. But man. Whew, my face hurts from smiling. As that I was that. a good one. That was a good one. I probably should have done a couple of proofreads before I yeah. read that live. On, I think I pronounced some of these words wrong. Yeah. Never to be repeated, but it was good. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's get to the after show. Oh, um, one thing I will. I have to thank friends of the show that brought me out of hiding while I was in, in Maine. And took me to the town of York, Maine, for supper. So I want to thank, oh, yes. uh, thank uh, Lucas and Dre for getting me out of my uh, dorm room for a few hours, and we had uh, had a good chat, had a beer, and I really do appreciate uh, the company while I was uh, very bored in in Maine. <laughs> in the yeah. evenings, it was very boring. I can only imagine. So I really do appreciate it. So very good. Uh, if you if you want to leave us a review, please do. Five stars is greatly appreciated. Yeah. Uh, our <laughs> our intro music is by Chad's Custom Creations. If you want to find Tony, you can find him at Woodland Iron. If you want to find myself, I'm at Blackthorn Concepts. 
Both of us can be found at Working Hands Podcast on Instagram, Working Hands 3 on TikTok, or you can email us at the Working Hands Podcast at gmail.com. With that, we bid you a great week. We will talk to you next week. We're going to head on over to the after show. Later.